You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. All right, on today's episode, we are joined by Brian Schaefer, the new head baseball coach of the Oswego baseball program in Oswego, Illinois. Coach, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Oswego East, by the way. <laughs> got, got to throw that in there. Yeah, that's right, Oswego East. All right, Coach, so, uh, you know, we're kind of, we've had some strength guys on, we've had some, uh, you know, uh, mental game uh coaches on but we're you know we're kind of dabbling into to baseball for the first time and you obviously played multiple sports and things like that but uh you know going into your your first year here as a head coach um what was the first thing that you're like oh yeah I'm a head coach now what was the first thing that popped like oh yeah I gotta I gotta do this or this is different than before um yeah I think the first thing that kind of put into perspective was when I started getting phone calls from like the local newspaper reporters. Um, I mean, as a so- sophomore level coach or a freshman coach, you, you let that out, leave that to the, the head coach and they deal with all that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm getting these calls. Oh, can we set up an interview? And you know, that was something definitely new. Um, and I knew it was something that I'd have to do in the season and talk after games and whatnot. But um that was uh oh wow I, I guess I guess I am here type moment, um, and then getting it sent to me by you know family members and staff members and stuff like that that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, and then you're always kind of looking at like okay did I say the right thing here do I yeah. sound like a goofball or the coach speak oh. yeah right? oh, you got to get the cliches down and everything like that and then I talk about all my kids and you know I remember I tried to do that we had a little interview and they were asking me, I was trying to get all my kids in to make sure, you know, basketball's a little bit easier, right? You only have, you know, I only had like 12 guys, but you know, just trying to start that season off. Right. So, um, oh, yeah. so, okay. Now, you know, being named the head coach and, and, and coming in, um, what are like the, your two or three non-negotiables or the things that you wanted to accomplish right off the bat 
to put your stamp on the program to kind of make it yours and your own as opposed to the previous the previous coaches yeah i mean i think over the past decade or so our, our three weeks program has been going in in a right direction and we've had a lot of success we've had a lot of great players come through great kids come through um i just think the the big things that i want to make sure that, that we have is one um continue to really build that community support um i know you guys you guys know that these kids are coming in from all these different programs from summer ball and all these other things and i want to make sure that one, we have a cohesive set of kids coming in, um, whether that be creating a feeder program or um, at least doing something with the different travel systems in the, in the area so that kids are hearing the same things throughout um, and really making that connection with that community, the, that travel ball community, because I know it's so important for those kids um, right now and their culture and that type of stuff. So that that is one I think family buy-in um, is another one, making sure that you have that, that I have that uh, connection with those, with the parents and with uh, the stakeholders um, in the program. That's, that's something I, I think is key. I've already been reaching out to, to families and making sure that they know who I am. And I mean, we're going to be having, our season doesn't start until March, but we're already going to be having our first parent meeting here in a little bit. And uh, making sure that those connections and then the last thing and I know we'll talk about it but like setting up a culture um, that is is mine because um, I'm much different than the last coach I'm much different than the coach before that um, and I got to be myself and setting up that culture of of fun and bringing kids in to just have fun it's, it's baseball it's a game and that's what we need to be doing we need to be having fun um, and, and being good people throughout the way. So I wanted uh, to follow up just on something you said, uh, because, you know, Todd and I have, have obviously run high school programs of our own. And, and it's an interesting question. You, you kind of right now we're in that honeymoon period with the parents where, you know, you're the new guy They they all, you haven't made any decisions. So they love every decision so far you've made because you've made none. Um, so kind of how do you start to build that bridge with parents? You know, if our listeners are a new head coach, you know, what would you say to them about kind of building that bridge with the parents now? So then in those rockier moments, that bridge doesn't collapse. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm lucky that I've, I've known everybody in this program for a, a quite a while. I mean, this is my 10th year at East and I've been in the program um, at various levels, whether it be freshman or sophomore. Um, there's only one group it, currently that I have not coached in, in the program. So it's it's easier for me because I have that connection already that I know the parents. Um, but if I were to be coming in and I didn't know the parents, I'd, I'd say the first, the biggest thing is just communication, uh, being open, being honest, communicating frequently. And um, whether that's about what's going on in the off season or the process in the season, that, that would be my approach to it. Um, it's, it's served me well coming into different levels just in the past. Um, but I, yeah, I'm in a unique situation that I've, I've known most of these families for quite some time. So that's helped. Um, and yeah, like you said, I'm in the honeymoon period. So uh, give, it, give it six months and, and might be having a different conversation about certain things. But, you know, I'd like to think that we have that relationship that open, honest, truthful um, with that community. So, so let's kind of turn it. And you and I have obviously had conversations about this, but 
you know, you were a multi-sport athlete, three sports, all four years. There, there's so much specialization now, you know, as, you know, as a three-sport athlete, you know, what are the things that the athletes can learn best by playing three sports and, and kind of going into that specialization. So kind of a two-parter to start. Why is there so much specialization now that that wasn't like this even 10, 15 years ago? I know all three of us are going to all sound old now, but you know, so kind of two things, you know, what are things that you think athletes are missing out on by not playing three sports? And then kind of let's go into why so much specialization. Um, I think the, what they're missing out on one is just experience, um, different experiences that if, if other they're playing, competing in other programs, they're dealing with adversity. They're dealing with collaboration. They're dealing with different types of teamwork They're Um, it's skills that are, uh, intangible skills, not so much that those measurables, I think that they're, they're missing out on quite a bit. I mean, the, the athletic part and the physical part, it plays a role regardless, no matter what, um, whether you're a baseball player and you used to do wrestling, but now you're focusing on baseball, you're missing out on that physical aspect of, uh, of developing that, those skill sets, the, the weight uh, training and, and those quick movement type things. If you're basketball, you're missing some of that cardio and those, and those things. But I think really those intangibles are what the kids are missing out on when they, when they start to specialize, um, seeing the different thing, being able to work with a different coach, different style, um, communicate effectively for different things, um, putting themselves into different roles and responsibilities, um, all those types of things. I think that in the long run is going to be what they're missing out most of. Um, and as far as why I think it's become so specific, I think it's the, the promise that they're going to be going to a, a college, a division one, two college. Um, I mean, these programs will say we can get you into college and that if you get, you focus on us and then now they're paying $3,000 every you know, five months or so. Um, and they're focusing really on that. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, and those those people are, are skilled in what they what they teach and what they go about, but it becomes the focus when you're putting that much money into those types of things. Um, so I really think it's that promise of here's the top of the hill. You're going to get to it if you focus on this. All right. So I'm going to add to this question a little bit because you just mentioned it. You mentioned you know the AAU programs like basketball, travel baseball programs. You know, even football now has seven on sevens, right? Um, so the first part of that is, is we'll talk about that outside first. And I want to talk about inside your school working with other coaches, but with those outside groups, um, you know, how do you, how do you work to, to mesh that? Right. Cause there, there's times where, you know, guys are throwing here and then they're coming to you and, you know, especially early, depending on the training period and, and things like that. So, you know, what are some ways you can mesh that? Cause I think that applies to every, every sport, right. Trying to build those, establish those relationships and working with the kids and, and, and working with various programs in the area. Yeah. I, well, coming into this, I think it's just that communication is absolutely key. And I, I mean, baseball is a little bit more unique when it comes to like pitching um, that very specific, your, your kid's going to get hurt if he pitches too much and is throwing too hard too early. Um, I, I tell my athletes all the time, I, I, I want to, I want you to be in the, in the gym, but, but be smart and, you know, take time off from throwing 
you need that your body needs that recovery. Um, but that communicate if they're communicating with me, parents understand the expectation and the realities of what can happen. Um, I think that's as important. But then, I mean, it's going to be my job to also be making those connections with those those specialized coaches um, and just saying, just putting out there, hey, we're going to be doing this, this, and this in the off season. Um, if you could just keep be open with what you're doing, so that we don't overtax these kids or put them in a situation where they're going to get hurt or um, put themselves in a position to be unsuccessful. I think that's that's going to be the the end goal. But yeah, I mean the the difficult thing is, is they are getting the, the, this coaching and outside stuff. So it's that communication with the, with the kids too, is what are you doing? How are you doing it? Why are you doing it? And then I'm going to be here to facilitate and support and, and build on that. Okay. So then let's move it to inside your building at, at Oswego East. Um, baseball is obviously a spring sport. Um, you know, I played ball all the way through college, coached it, you know, and it, it just seems that, um, you know, it's very hard as a, as a program to have a whole team of just baseball athletes, right? It's yeah. just, it, you know, if you, if you really want to be successful, you're going to have to have some of those other guys. Um, and, and baseball being the last one, uh, you know, how do you work with those guys, those football guys, right? Because there's lifting, right? The football guys, they're going to, as soon as they're done, right? January, December, they're going to lift. And basketball guys, a long season overlap you know basketball runs right in the ba- right in the baseball a lot of times um so how are you working in your your building with those coaches to kind of maximize all of your programs and help each other out yeah uh i think what east has developed really well over the past let's say five six seven years they really put a focus on it is a strength and conditioning program that transcends all the sports and you're going to have your in-season lifting that's sport specific and that's great and what when they're in their sport they're in their sport um yeah i want kids to be you know a basketball kid i, I would love to have them at open gym in the morning at five o'clock to to put in work with the baseball team and be with the guys and, and all that stuff to help develop culture but his responsibility and his priority should be basketball um He's put it, he's signed into doing basketball. He's made the team that should be number one focus. So in season, that's, that's their priority. Um, and I'll have a kind con- they show up, I'll have a conversation with them. And I'll also say, you know, your priority needs to be your sport that you are in. Uh, I don't, I get that you might like basketball more than wrestling or uh, football or whatever, but this is your priority. Um, and then as far as like in between, um, working with, with the coaches, um, the football guys do a great job of communicating with us and doing more specific lifts, more core type lifts in the off season, um, agility things. Um, and I mean, they're doing that regardless, um, in addition to some of the weight training, but, um, just more baseball specific and, and supporting what we're also trying to do in, in our programs as well. Um, but I think like ba- with basketball that period that overlaps with baseball it's, it's playoffs it, they shouldn't be thinking about baseball until basketball is done that's number one priority that's their season that's what they got to be doing but then at the, at the flip side once baseball starts that switch has got to turn it's baseball number one priority when it comes to extracurriculars and supporting what we're doing 
So I kind of wanted to turn it now. Obviously, we're a primarily basketball podcast, and and you were a basketball player and and coach yourself for a long time. Um, So, you know, having coached both, what were things that you used to coach each sport? What were maybe, obviously, there's a lot of differences. So let's focus on what were some of the similarities to, to coaching both as as Todd and you both said, they kind of flow right into each other. So what were some of those same skills, even though the games are obviously much different, that you used with the players, with your team? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the same things that I did for practices from one sport to another are going to be how I approach the sport, um, meaning having conversations with the kid, making sure I touch, talk to every single kid every single day. Um clearly communicate what I want, have clear goals for each practice, um, have a clear plan, involve assistant coaches, all of those types of things. And then when it comes to game, I mean, yeah, games are wildly different in pace um, and those types of things, but like understanding your personnel, knowing who needs to be where and thinking about certain situations. Um, I mean, I have more time in between an inning to try and figure it out and in a timeout to figure out personnel and, and those types of things. Um, but the, the similar where a guy goes in the lineup, um, who, who she should hit behind, um, thinking ahead about certain situations, end of the game, guy on second, we're on defense, high ball game. What, what bunt defense am I in? Like we got to practice those types of things. And, make sure that we're set, our execution is good. It's the same, I thought those were very similar, making sure that execute, you can execute your offensive play, you can execute your out of bounds, you can execute the end of the period or the end of the quarter um, play. Same thing with baseball, you can execute a bunt defense, you can execute a bunt, you can execute at the end of a game, what we're trying to do, the defensive plays and those types of things. Um, Thinking ahead and being prepped, I think that was, that's the big thing and personnel. Um, and those were the biggest similarities and then how I approached each game and practice. So you kind of, you kind of mentioned the, the speed aspect and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of talk even at the major league level of, of the speed and, and, and baseball not being as attractive to younger, younger kids. Right. I guess this kind of goes back to the other question of getting those three sports athletes and, and bringing them in. Um, you know, using that basketball and football knowledge where it's kind of go, 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 um, you know, how can you use that knowledge to, I guess, kind of help recruit some guys to, to the baseball game, um, you know, during the practice part, right? Because I think everybody likes to play games for the most part, right? The games are kind of fun. They compete. But where it gets, I think where it gets, gets you in baseball is, is the practice, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of times it's just a different, different pace. You're not really playing a game, especially in Illinois when you're inside of a cage that's 10 by 60 and, you know, it's five o'clock in the morning and the guy's throwing 88 at you and you're like, oh boy, this is not so much fun. Right. Um, so how, how can we transfer some of those things over and, and make, make the, 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 that part of the game fun too? Cause like you said, you're trying to make baseball fun. Yeah. yeah. Make it fun. I, I remember practices where we'd be in a hallway hitting sock balls because uh, we just don't have any space and whatnot. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think the big thing is make it fun, make it competitive, um, make everything competitive. Um, I mean, that's kind of what, what you do in basketball. Everything's competitive. Everybody 
you have one-on-one or if you're doing certain drills, you make it competitive and the kids get after it. And, um, I think it's similar in baseball. You make it competitive. Um, you put in certain drills like that. You switch things up. Um, we like to do a lot of different types of games. Uh, I mean, kickball, like you're in the same format and, and everything, but it's something just a little bit different and, and make sure we're, we're being safe. Obviously, don't hurt each other um, and do the, those types of things. But at the same time, um, make it meaningful and, and don't have them there to be there. I, I mean, I, I think back to some practices of three plus hours and by hour three, you know, yeah. that competitiveness and that fun has ended and we got another half hour of drills to go and I'm not getting anything out of it. So making sure that when they're there, they're getting something. So I'm not afraid to tell the guys, Hey, well, if it's not being meaningful after an hour and a half, we're going to call it. I'm, I'm not going to develop bad habits or waste your time um, doing something that's not going to be meaningful. So making sure we do those types of things. Um, and then let them watch Major League Baseball and, and Bryce Harper and, and Jose Abreu and those guys hit bombs and do those cool things. <laughs> I mean, I think some of that is, is always beneficial too and um letting them come in and you know but once they're in practice do things fundamentally right i i really i really like that quote and i'm stealing that quote it was don't have them there to be there i think that's that's really good for any for any coach like get your work done and, and get out because i think that's so there's been so many times where if I tell the kids we're going for an hour, that's the hardest working hour that we've had the whole season. So I think that's so true. So I kind of wanted to shift it a little bit to kind of talk about, I think so often now we're seeing so many coaches step down or resign and, and they're citing family reasons and, and sports in high school have become so year round. I mean, let's be realistic for a head coach. It's year round. It's summer, it's fall, it's spring. We've talked about all the preps. Um, so what are things a high school head coach can do year round to make their program successful? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it really is. And it, you want, you want to do the off season stuff to make sure that you're prepped for the season. And I think that's, that's key for any program. And it, it's a lot. Um, and I, I know you guys know, reach out to your assistant coaches and um, share some responsibility. Um, I, I think one of the things that I really liked about, uh, Matt Engelhar, last uh, head coach, is he really kind of divvied up and, and gave every coach um, some sort of responsibility throughout the offseason, whether it be Monday defensive work or Wednesday hitting. Uh, so you're, you're not there every day, but you're there once a day um, just to try and break it up a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, be present in when you can. Um, and be honest with why you're doing certain things and, and tell them the why. Um, but as far as limiting things, I mean, it really just depends on your program. Um, I'm going to have 28 guys coming back that half of them play other sports, half of them don't, they're the half that don't want to make sure that they're in the, in the building. So I'll, I'll make myself available, but I'll, I'll be set clear limits and boundaries of what we can and cannot do. Um, and then having an amazing, you know, wife who supports it is also key. 
Um, so. I think the last part was the most important there, uh, Tom. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, uh, obviously, baseball last year in Illinois was the most – resembled the most normal year um, out of all the sports. Um, it was still very unusual. But I want to talk to you a little bit about coming off a COVID year. Um, you know, even though you guys had a more normal year in baseball, you still had restrictions. You still had things you can do. You had some guys in the building, some guys not in the building. Um, you know, all the, all the things on the bus, this, that, this, that, and the other. So how do you come back, um, you know, and then obviously you take it over, but how do you come back and just start building those standards and expectations in a more normal year, both in the classroom and, and your off-season stuff and on-field stuff? Because, you know, they step away, you kind of fall into some, some habits or, or maybe some things that weren't, weren't normal for these kids when they have their normal routine. Um, I think it's being, uh, being available for them um, right now, um, making sure they're in the building, making sure that they're with us, the coaches every, um, for our schedule, whether it be weekly open fields or lifting or those types of things, um, and in a reasonable amount, but I want them to be exposed to our culture and, and the expectations I'm trying to set right away. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm communicating that with the parents too, to build, to build parent buy-in and the player buy-in. Um, I think that's going to be the, the most important. I mean, like you said, baseball was a little bit more lucky having the most normal of the seasons or this, at least the spring sports. Um, so we got some time with them and we had the opportunity in the summer to, to work with them. Um, so now it's just continuing to kind of push those expectations and, and culture that, that we want and continue to be communicating that. So uh, you and myself and, and Todd and pretty much every guest we've had on has been coaching for a long time, all of us, at least over a decade. Um, so if you could give a young coach, you know, maybe it's their first year coach in high school or, or even grammar school or even college, you know, two or three things two or three pieces of advice for somebody that's just starting out coaching high school, love college, grammar school, you know, what would you say to those young coaches in their very first year? Oh man, there's a, there's, there's a lot. Wow. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, I think the biggest thing that thinking personally of myself is one, be willing to one, just take a breath. Um, take a step back when you need to. Um, my, my first year I was li living on my own. I was in Bloomington. I was a new teacher. Uh, first time I was a head coach. Um, and I, I was putting so much stress on myself, just thinking, am I ready for this game? Am I prepped? I was staying late to watch film and do, uh, take a step back. Um, it's going to be okay. And, and that was freshman basketball. So I was, I, I was, I just needed to take a step. So one, just be willing to take a step back and take some time. Um, I know you guys had uh, Julie Fournier on not too long ago, but the mental health aspect is, is huge. And that's something that I wish I would have done as a new coach. Um, also be willing to learn. Uh, new coach, now what, 13 years after I started coaching, 
I knew nothing then compared to now. Um, it's kind of like teaching. You think back and, wow, I was not a good teacher when I first started teaching, but I learned a lot of different things. It's, it, it was the same for me that for that. Be willing to learn, go to as many clinics and learn the sport and, and do those types of things. Um, and then know the resources that you have uh, <laughs> and, and be willing to work with it. Uh, my first tryout, I had a new head varsity basketball coach and, and I had asked him, hey, you know, do I have this, this, this? I had planned on doing form shooting and having guys on all the baskets and, and having 20 basketballs and two courts. And he said, oh yeah, you got everything you need. We got it. Don't worry about it. Show up and I got two basketballs and 65 kids and um, two hoops and well, I guess I got to revamp my day one tryout as a first year head coach with no assistant coaches. All right, let's do this. Before, before Todd goes on to the next question, Todd and I understand this because we used to coach together as the sophomore and the freshman coach. And one day for our listeners, we shared half a court with three hoops and what did we have? Like mm, both of our teams combined and we each had one hoop. So that was fun. Good times. Got a lot done that day. <laughs> All right, so let's get down to the, uh, the 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 nitty gritty question here. You got a player that comes up to you. He's uh, like, Coach, I'm not not playing enough. I'm not getting enough innings. You know, on on my team, I play with in the summer. I pitched all the time. This that the other. Uh, you know. And sometimes it's them just generally wondering. And sometimes it's them like, Hey, what the heck's going on here? Like I should be throwing. Um, how, how do you, cause I, again, it applies to, to any sport. And, uh, but how do you, how are you having that conversation with, with that player um, to kind of help them see, Hey, this is where I see you now. This is where we're going. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, the conversations I had is focusing on what they can improve on. Um, if say a pitcher, I, hey, I should be pit, I should be throwing more innings. I, I do this, this, and this in the off season. I should be saying, I'm I'm saying, awesome, but I want to see you develop a consistent change up for a strike. I want to I want to make sure that you're competing. I want to make sure that you are um, attacking early in the count. And those are some things that I think you should improve on. Um, and and when we get there, then then, then we'll, we'll see what, what we can do. Um, and then making sure that they know when, when you get that opportunity, you need to make the most of that opportunity. Um, that's how I tell at least my players all the time in, in baseball or basketball, there's, there's nine guys on the field or there's five guys on the court and there are 22 of you or 18 of you. Um, you're going to have to show it in, in practice. You're going to have to show it on, on the bench at the end of the bench. You're going to have to know what you need to be doing um, to make the most of those opportunities. Um, and then again, the, the, when, when we're not looking, what are you doing to get better? I, I understand that you want to play, but what are you doing to get better? And how are you doing that? Um, those types of conversations usually take are, are how it takes place um, and making sure that we're focusing on them and how they can improve um, rather than the specifics of, clock. Um, I think that's important. 
So uh, before we move on to the, our last two segments, you kind of hit on something and, and it's a big thing for me. So I'm just kind of curious in how you will define it, but you've talked about the word culture many times during, during our episode. You know, if you had to define your culture in one sentence or, or even just an overall successful culture of, of any uh, who, it doesn't matter, whatever sports, you know, coaches listening, how would you define a good culture or maybe your specific culture in, in one or two sentences? Huh. Let me narrow, let me narrow my philosophy down to one or two sentences. Let's see. <laughs> Take the uh, book. <laughs> um, I think I, I want a, a culture of kids who are high quality individuals who will work um, hard to become better. Um, I want them to have fun in what they're doing and to be supportive of all those around them. Um, we are a team and we need to support the team at all times. So that, I mean, one to two sentences, that's, that's the best I could do. <laughs> that's all right. There was a lot of commas in there, semicolons. It, yeah. it turned into one sentence. Yeah. And, 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 that's and. Right. There you go. That's right. Um, Listen, I, I teach PE, so that was a perfectly fine sentence for done. me. I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> done. Um, all right. So we, in our final two segments, the, the first one, we like to call it a 30 second timeout. You know, you're a former basketball guy, as we joke with all of our guests, there's no, there's no referee in this timeout, uh, telling you that the timeout's got to be over. So if you go over 30 seconds, as we tell all of our guests, it's okay. But this is kind of where we give our guests their platform to talk about whatever they want about their program, um, about something they're passionate about. doesn't even have to be related to your program or sports or anything. Um, an outside organization, a chair, a charity, um, a story from a season, a unique story, a funny story, whatever you want to talk to our listeners about for 30 seconds, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, I think this was looking over what you guys sent me. I, this was a, a difficult one for me just thinking about, about it, but I think I kind of focused on making sure that the kids know that what they're doing is, is fun and they should be having fun while they're doing it. Um, it took me a little bit to realize how I was, how I was coaching and how it's coming off and what I was focusing on, um, put extra stress on the kids, um, and the players. And I, I go now into every single game you know, with my pregame speech and it's always, I always end it. The most important thing we should be doing today is having fun. Um, cause if we're not having fun, we're not going to be competing at our best level. We're going to be we're going to be thinking about what I did wrong or focused on what's coming up. And, and when, when kids play their best, you know, some of the coolest things that kids do are when they're having fun in a pickup game in off season and, um, and those types of things. So uh, having fun and, and, and really enjoying the game is, is something that I've really taken a focus on as, as a coach in the re in recent times. Um, so that's just something that I kept coming back to is just continuing to have fun. And like we talked about earlier, the specialization, I think some, some of that just enjoyment of the game is being lost, but because they're just constantly playing the same sport and, and doing those types of things. So getting back to that, it's basics. I think that's just good advice overall in life. Just, just have fun, enjoy what you're doing. Right. Uh, I like that. That's, that's super simple, but it's, it's impactful. All right, so the last one is quick hitters. We're just going to throw like random stuff at you. What, whatever we got here, uh, answer answer any way you feel like. All right, so your favorite high school sports memory as an athlete? Uh, uh, yeah, so 
I think John has some that I think he would think I would talk about. Um, <laughs> but thinking back on it, the things that I remember the most were um, during baseball season, you know, junior, senior year, we had this shed that was behind the varsity field and getting there real early um, and, and sitting back there and hanging out with the guys, the, the custodial staff and the maintenance crew, they cleared out a space that we could just sit in um, and, and spending time with our teammates. I mean, teammates were there. John was there. We hung out for hours at a time, pregame, postgame, weekends. Coach would open it up and we just kind of do this. I think that was, I have vivid memories of those and just remembering how fun that was. I think that was, that was the things that I remember the most and that were my favorite memories. Not going to lie, before I move on to the next one, listeners, he did once get a bloody nose uh, guarding John Shire, so I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, that, I knew you were going to think that was the one. And I was, I mean, I wasn't a great player. I was just like, that was a guy that you put in to, you know, get a charge, get a rebound. And I, I guess I took my job a little too serious that day. No, that was awesome. Uh, all right. So best, I, I know you're a golfer, so your best or most memorable round as a golfer? Um, I mean, I'm not that good of a golfer. I'd say um, in a weekend tournament, I, I was shoot, just shooting lights out and shot a, I think it was like a 74, 75. Um, it was good enough to place it. I mean, our golfers, I, I never placed um, and I was able to do that. I mean, I was an 82 to 88, 18 round golfer. So to do something like that to me was unbelievable. Yeah, he's not that good though. He's yeah, not that good. I, I, I would do 82 and four holes. <laughs> right. Maybe on the front night. Uh, all right. So you just had a newborn. What have you learned? What is the secret you've already learned from the from the from the little one? Oh man. Uh, another one. How long do you guys got? <laughs> um, you know, patience. Uh, that's been huge. Um, I think just, again, to understand what, what I have be able to put some things in this, some perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I was telling my wife, I had a, just a rough day at work and coming home and being with like puts in this perspective, um, made things better. Um, and then of course, how to change the diaper, you know, you learn that quick. Wait, we got to learn those things. Yeah, you got to figure that one out real quick, right? So, all right. So we, we always like to, to ask some goofy ones. So favorite pregame meal, you can either do it when you were a player or a coach. Uh, so now I'm, I currently, I, I, I struggle to eat pregame most of the time. Um, I've always been somebody who's been kind of wound up prior to a game. So it's, it's a little bit tougher for me to eat. I'd say but if I do eat you know, basketball season, the game doesn't start until, you know, five or five 30, depending on uh, where we're playing, but subway, it would be my, cause it's a little bit easier. Um, but back when we were players, I, I wish I could eat like this, but we would go to McDonald's or Burger King and get six cheeseburgers and then a bunch of candy and then go play a basketball game. And um, I can't believe that I survived that with how I ate. Very true. All right. Uh, favorite all-time Chicago Bear? Uh, Brian Erlacher jumps to mind first. Um, I, I got to see him play, uh, and that was special. Um, I would love to say I or wish I would have seen 
you know, sweetness, but. So we got throw a hundred miles per hour or be able to hit 40 to 50 bombs. Oh, I would throw a hundred miles an hour all day. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Because it's hard to hit 100 now, right? You know, like it's much harder to hit these days. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go Cubs, Cubs, Sox, or other. Right. And then I have a second part of the question after you, you kind of tell me that one. Uh, uh, which is my favorite? Yeah. You're a Cubs or Sox guy? I'm a Sox guy. All right. So I want you to think back teams of your youth and not like superstars. What was your like favorite, like random? non-star like bench guy like the guy you had like 84 baseball cards of because that's all you ever got right because you never got superstars in the in the in the pack you just got you know like I think about like Paul Asenbacher from the Cubs I had like 800 of his cards because that's all you ever got I I, you know top of head I think I got three I got uh Joe Creedy um I loved watching Joe Creedy during those years um Aaron Rowan um, I love just his heart, his attitude, his effort. And then Willie Harris, um, oh, which Willie is, Harris. <laughs> I mean, he was like a, a specialty guy, just came in, ran, hit, did what he needed to do. But I mean, he was a big part of that 05 run and yeah, it was special. I was hoping for some Ray Durham, not going to lie. Yeah, but he was, he was more of a, a big guy. Yeah, he, he was. Cool, Coach, we, we really appreciate you jumping on. Um, you know, helping us branch out to the different sports in the baseball's perspective. But, you know, it obviously all coaching translates over, uh, you know, to all to all sports. And uh, so we appreciate you coming on, joining us. Uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, have, have a have a have a great night. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout, or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.